This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Miguel Delaney of The Independent and Tony Hodson of The Coach's Voice. News just in, a great Champions League draw. Liverpool will resume their defence against Atletico Madrid. Manchester City face Real Madrid. Chelsea have got Bayern Munich, while Tottenham and their European specialist Jose Mourinho must deal with Red Bull Leipzig. Who needs a Super League mix? Well, this is it. And, I mean, you could argue this is the flip side of conditioning the entire competition so that we're left with the best teams. And while it gives us the massive problem of the group stage being so predictable, it gives us, I suppose, the more pleasing offset of this uh, knockout stage being gloriously unpredictable. I mean, it's probably been the highest level of sport in, in any sport for the last few years. And that draw is one of the best I've seen for some time. Mm. Let's take it club by club. Liverpool, Atletico close to your heart, Tony. They are domestically absolutely dominant. Is this the acid test of how they will fare in Europe? I think it's an acid test. There could have been possibly more acid tests in that draw. I don't think Atletico are quite yet on full full steam this season. It's been quite surprising to see them kind of drop off a little bit in La Liga. The difference in you know the, the point system, they're not that far behind. But they haven't really hit full power. They kind of they needed to they needed to win to guarantee their place in the in the last sixteen in the last Champions League game. So they're not they're not at full power. Diego Simeone is a wily character. There are signs that maybe they're finding a bit of form as some of their new recruits are coming in and, and starting to find their feet. There's every chance Liverpool could be exhausted by the time these games come round. But something tells me that Klopp has, has got his team in a position where they think they can just win or get through every single game they play. Mm. Um, I don't think they'll be that scared. Yeah, it's one of those ties, isn't it, Miguel? Where it's the psychodrama of the two coaches. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp on the one hand and Simeone on the other. Oil and water or is the chemistry right to make this a really good tie between yeah. them? I think this could be one of the great European ties in that regard. And even that goes as far as, the, as almost the mental setup for it. Because on one side, you've got Liverpool, who uh, for a lot of people, are kind of the Champions League is maybe considered a little bit of a, a secondary target this season because of obviously this, this you know, thing. <laughs> date with destiny with the league but yet we could have a situation where if they're, if they're not exhausted they could, they could be almost home and clear in the, in the league at that point and then suddenly they've, they've got this big match they can build up towards on the other side for Simeone I think this is a season where I was expected as Tony said where they do a bit more in the league and they've kind of trailed off a little so now 
we could see the opposite where the Champions League is the be-all and end-all for them. And, you know, Simeone has a superb record in this competition. Uh, and as you say, it goes to the styles as well. You've got that very energetic, very modern club football against maybe what people might say is a little bit retrograde Simeone approach. is very reactive in that sense. You could almost call it Inter Milan 2010 2.0 in some of the way they play. Uh, yeah, and I think there's a lot of ingredients there for something very special. Mm. It's interesting what you say about the the energy of a, of, of a teams that are dominant in the league. We've seen it with actually Bayern Munich a few yeah. times in recent years, haven't we? And we saw it with, arguably with Manchester City a couple of years ago when the league was done and dusted by Christmas pretty much. Yeah. And their form actually tailed off to such a degree that in the end their defeat to Liverpool in the Champions League wasn't that much of a yeah. surprise. Yeah, it's a big game. Mm. With Liverpool, how much of a, an emotional sort of tidal wave are they, are they riding at the moment? You know, we've got Jurgen Klopp, you know, committed himself to the club until 2024. As we say, the, the Premier League is going amazingly well. What are the realistic aims that Klopp has in those sort of four or five years remaining on that contract? That's a big question. He wants to win the Premier League first and foremost. My guess after that is that he wants to win the Premier League again. You know, Manchester City fans point at the fact that they're on for a third straight title this year. I think, I think we all think they're not going to do it now. But there is that kind of domestic dominance. Ferguson had it, Wenger arguably had it briefly, Mourinho at Chelsea, and, and latterly Guardiola. I think to be considered to go up there with the greats, either in Premier League history or in, in English domestic history or in world history, I think you've got to be dominant in your domestic league. Yeah. It's in a strange way, it feels like the Champions League's kind of done. Klopp took a kind of Dortmund team to the final that should never have been there. He's taken Liverpool to two finals. He's won it once. There's that great thing last season where Liverpool and Man City each won the trophy that the other one wanted. Yeah. Um, it might be that they finally get the ones they, they both want this season. But you talk about the emotion of, of Liverpool. The, the odd thing about Liverpool watching this season is actually there's a lack of emotion about the football. They just win games. Yeah, yeah. They just find a way to win. Think about two seasons ago when they got to the Champions League final. It was a team that just hammered teams, flew at them, and they yeah. kind of hung on a bit because they lacked energy. That, was, that all felt very emotional. Last season, took them to a new level. This season, it feels like they've, they've kicked on again. They play cold, winning football, which mm. is great for the fans. Just, just to pick up on something Tony said there, I mean, as brilliant as the modern Champions League is the knockout stage, that is one of the things that slightly irritates me in that, as you say, the Champions League was done for them. Because, I mean, in the, in the classic days of the competition and in the classic days of Liverpool, which... Klopp's historical legacy we measured against. There was that element of real kind of quest and journey to the European Cup because you had to win the league first. So it was that next step. Mm. Whereas now it's just, you can almost kind of, not win it by accident, but you, you can win it before you're a fully formed team because it's a knockout competition in that way. Yeah. And that's almost, that is almost what's happened with Liverpool. And I suppose that, I mean, that's what it comes down to Klopp's next four or five years. It's, it's historic legacy, I'd say. And if you can win another Champions League, maybe a league two or three, we are talking about one of Liverpool's greatest ever managers. Uh, maybe their greatest, given the kind of the modern context and how lo financially loaded towards the wealthiest modern football is. Mm. If you look back at Liverpool's past, Tony, in, in terms of almost personality more than anything else, who is Klopp's direct descendants? Is he a Shankly figure or a Paisley figure? I think he's... Well, <laughs> you could argue it's a bit of both. Yeah. Depends on how much he wins. Um, <laughs> that will that will align him with Paisley. Definitely Shankly. You think about Shankly brought the city together, brought the club together, built something. Feels like that's what Klopp's done. Brendan Rodgers, for all his undoubted talents as a coach, yeah. had some very good players and 
played some very good football, but felt like he wasn't building anything. Yeah. He was he was he 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 was taking a team with some very good players as far as they could go. That soon fell apart when Suarez left and Gerard got old and then retired. Klopp's built this up from not from nothing. Helen, this is still Liverpool we're talking yeah. about. But he's built them to a point where they are way beyond what they've been, yeah. certainly in the Premier League era. Well, he, he totally conforms to the kind of manager as Messiah idea, doesn't he? That, that basically every club wants is what Everton want now, it's what Man United want, it's what Arsenal want. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's basically, and there, there are not too many around, but it's, no. it's completely what Klopp has given Liverpool after after so many years of searching. We don't want to get too biblical about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but to his credit, he gives a lot of credit to the coaching team yeah. around him, you know, Pep Linders and people like that. And when you look at the way the club is being run, strategically and cohesively, you know, you look at uh, with Minamoto coming in, yeah. in, in in January, there is an absolute steal, yeah. seven and a half million pounds, and almost uh, he embodies the Champions League dividend that a club like Liverpool yeah. can have. Now, to be, um, Tony Evans has made the argument with us in the Independent that he thinks there's, there's been a lot of, um, you know, re- <laughs> that this has been a, a, a post-fact argument in the sense that the club were never quite built towards success in that way, that it's something that's been argued later because basically they got a little bit lucky with just how well Klopp fitted what was there. And since then, it's that all the signings have fitted Klopp's approach rather than the club putting in place the structure that all the signings fit into. Spinning football, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but, um, yeah, but you can't argue with... I mean, that's just the thing. In the last three years, it's almost as if, bar Naby Keita, who still actually had a bit of an impact, it's as if every single signing they made have just perfectly fitted what the club needs. Even, even those that, uh, that there was some doubt about, like like Origi, say, have ended up really playing a massive role with you know goals in the semi-final against Barca and in the final itself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the last time I was here, we talked about Fabinho, who, of course, yeah. is, is out injured at the moment. But for the first three months... He yeah. was rarely sighted, and when he was, it didn't look like he fitted. Yeah. And now look at him, he's, he's one of the most important players in the team. I've got a hunch that Joe Gomez will, has gone through that cycle, and now he's back in yeah. or through first or circumstance alongside Van Dyke. I think he'll prove himself as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's hoping. The interesting point about Pep Linders, we, at Coach's Voice, we had time secured with Pep, a very interesting character who'd obviously done a lot of work behind the scenes at Liverpool, wasn't really known, had been, had been coaching there left towards the end of 2017, start of 2018 to take a job up at NEC uh, in the Dutch second division. It seemed with a, with a mandate to get them promoted, mm. didn't, didn't happen, was removed and was back at Liverpool within, within a month. Mm. So he's obviously somebody yeah. that, that Klopp had allowed to go to try and find his wings and maybe become a number one. But as soon as, as, soon as job one ended, he yeah, was straight yeah. back in the fold. Yeah. I, I've been told by a couple of um, football league and Premier League managers that they went to a almost like a masterclass by Linders, uh, which was organised by the Welsh FA for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And they said he was sensational. Mm. And when so when you get his peers respecting yeah. me in that way, you've mm. got something special there. Mm. Now, there's an amazing thing there, maybe as well as that. And it's something that's coming up more with all this argument about figures like Duncan Fergus and Ljungberg and Solskjaer who suddenly get dropped into major roles about how suited certain personality types are to the main role or the main man job or maybe something a bit more in the background. Mm. Um, and I mean, I mean, we see, see it with, say, someone like Paco Esteran, who is you know, seen as a brilliant coach under Rafa Benitez, but it's never quite worked out for him as a manager. Mm. Mm. When you look at the, um, you know, the, the eternal discussion about coming from number two to number one, you know, there's, it's very timely given, uh, I think, 20 past one this morning, <laughs> Arsenal officials were seen <laughs> leaving Mikel Arteta's house, which does suggest that they're getting serious about him taking over at Arsenal. 
if you're Miguel, if you're if you're Mikel Arteta, do you go to Arsenal or do you stay at Manchester City? I wouldn't touch Arsenal with a barge pole at the moment. There's an obvious emotional connection that Arteta has with the club as a, as a former captain, very popular player. But I think part of what we've done at a coach's voice and, and spoken to a lot of managers over the last couple of years is we found a lot of, a lot of coaches who've said, I've made the wrong decision. Yeah. I've gone into a club because I wanted to be a number one and I wanted this job at this time or I wanted to take anything because it's so competitive. And then they found out that they didn't do their due diligence. Yeah. It doesn't take a genius to do due diligence on Arsenal at the moment. Yeah. I think this probably isn't, isn't, isn't a club to be going into. If Arteta has his has his thinking cap on, I think he'll be happy to stay with Manchester City for a little while yet and wait for the right opportunity. But the, the heartstrings might be pulled. And Arsenal do look such a mess at the moment. Yeah. He can't do much worse. Yeah, I was talking to someone who's done a lot of work with Arsenal recently and he said something that reminded me <coughs> that old quote in film basically that even a brilliant film director can't make a great film out of a bad script and he said it's to say that if recruitment is wrong at a club and the structure is wrong it will make even an exceptional coach look mediocre and that's the I mean and from everything you hear from almost everyone connected to that club at the moment it's just an absolute mess too many competing voices none of those voices are in sync and it's, it's amazing it's, it's as if it seemed they were very clever initially in putting in place a football structure to replace all the various jobs that Wenger was responsible for. in basically, in the opposite way that Manchester United did mm. uh, when they were replacing Ferguson. But it seems as if that was done in a very superficial way and they just kind of hand-picked certain people that fitted a certain archetype rather than built a cohesive team that works together. Mm. Because that, that's something you hear time and again, that it's just, mm. it, it's not working. And even the fact they've gone from initially a very uh, analytics, science-based recruitment uh, process under Mislintat who then attempted, attempted to instill more changes, but Rell said he essentially wouldn't let him because he wanted to please too many people. And they've gone the other side now to a more relationship-based recruitment process. Mm. And just none of it adds up. Mm. If you look at the personality profiles of successful managers, you know, everyone analyses mm. Pep Guardiola, for instance. When you see Pep, is there a, an inbuilt burnout process because he is so intense and committed to his job? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think I think we we saw it with Pochettino at Tottenham. Yeah. Klopp to this point seems to have avoided it. Um, but out of Dortmund. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, had had you know had a you know has been through it a couple of times, and he's maybe a little bit older and wiser. I don't know. With with Pep, you get the impression that it doesn't matter how old he is, he's going to be yeah. exactly the same. You know, you look at you look at last season's title race. It was relentless and it was brutal. And we kind of look back and see the fact that City and Liverpool were so far ahead of everyone else, and think, oh, well, they were they were just winning games easily. They they actually weren't. You know, City struck relatively late against Burnley, even later against Leicester. There was Champions League stuff going on at the same time. And I think you look at when that race ended, I think a lot of, lot of neutral onlookers think, oh, well, Liverpool have lost. They're going to find it tough. City have won, they'll kick on. In fact, it's kind of gone the other way around. There does look to be a little bit of burnout at Manchester City. Talk about the, the, the signings that have worked at yeah. Liverpool, unbelievably. Signings at City just aren't working as well. But that's actually been a little bit of a... Well, I don't want to say a pattern with Pep because it's really only happened once before, but it did happen in a quite a pronounced manner. When at Barcelona in 2011-12, which again was his only other fourth season, and again, his only season at Barcelona where he didn't win the league, so maybe there's a suggestion that just because of the, how intense he is, mm. his fourth season is, Marie, is like Mourinho's th- third. <laughs> but, but also, it was as if a Barca member, like, where they started to sign players like Chigrinsky, and I can't even remember the Brazilian player they signed who just didn't even get a look in by the end, Maybe it's because his approach is so defined that it, it's difficult to bring players in from outside to fit in. Uh, and it meant 
as at City now, as at Barca then, it just his squad kept getting kind of smaller and smaller, or the mm. core players kept he, he trusted kept getting smaller and smaller to the point then that when they suffered injuries, they they really struggled. They became dependent on certain players. I remember, like there were there was a ridiculous dependency on on Messi in that 2011-12 season yeah. at Barca. Mm. Yeah. Because he's so strongly identified with Barca, this tie against Real Madrid is going to dominate, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be brilliant. I'm, I'm, it's probably the, I mean, it, I'm kind of you know not saying anything surprising here, but it's the tie I'm looking forward to the yeah. most because it, it really could be anything. I think we're looking at two teams who aren't quite what they've been, but that kind of vulnerability can often lead to something pretty pretty special happening. Yeah, um, City's defence. I mean, one assumes that Laporte will probably be back, but he's been out for a long time. No guarantee he'll he'll return any kind of form. Yeah, Guero should be back and firing. Real. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're kind of they're kind of fighting for La Liga title, kind of almost yeah. by default, really. Well, they're almost fighting each other. They, you know, themselves, aren't they? But then we've seen that so many times at Madrid, and then in the Champions League, it's if there's something comes over that club. Because I mean, and it is an interesting kind of contrast with Pep in that since 2011, he's he's gone through so many of these kind of long nights of the soul trying to almost fight his way to the Champions League, mm. and always failed in such like massive frustration. Whereas for Madrid, it's almost like Champions League's fall into their lap. Like they've got, especially some of the last few seasons, where they got so many big decisions going away and so many big games, and, and that's the thing. I mean, weirdly, I think there is an argument as kind of dysfunctional as City have been this season, as as far behind as they are with Liverpool, it might just fall into their hands, or, not, or, or the kind of the situation might fall into their hands in Champions League because suddenly the, the they can fully focus on this. You have players like Laporte coming back and Sané who. It might just allow enough time. Say if they come back in January, then they've got a month's football under their belt before the Champions League gets underway again. And suddenly you've got a, a core of your squad that's quite fresh, which is pretty key in the Champions League. Although the flip side to that is that it will only just build up more and more and more pressure on the Champions League, which, which Guardiola has obviously struggled with. It, it, it's almost caused him to kind of second-guess some of his own decisions. There's a bit of anger yeah. at Manchester. This is actually a draw that, uh, in a strange way, could actually work in their favour because it's a, uh, yeah. it's a big game. Yeah. You know, we've seen Champions League nights at the Etihad don't really kick off. They don't always fill the stage and they don't like UEFA. They think decisions go yeah. against them. VAR hasn't gone with them. You know, there's, 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 a, there's a sense of injustice that burns around Manchester City, yeah. particularly with regards to the Champions League. I think, actually, rather than drawing... One of the one of the lesser teams getting Real Madrid the yeah. biggest draw possible in this round could actually could actually yeah. you know help them build a bit of momentum. They get the win. I'd, I'd actually make them favourites to go through. I don't know what you what you guys. Yeah, think. I think I, I'm not really. Um, I don't really hate Dan to be honest. Despite, <laughs> despite three Champions <laughs> Leagues. Uh, <laughs> what about the, the the relative standard of of La Liga? You know, uh, the third arm of this is you know Barcelona. They've got Napoli in in the last sixteen in the Champions League. What about the relative standard of La Liga? to the Premier League? Well, I think its technical level remains very high and its tactical level. But there is a financial issue which has meant maybe they're not attracting quite the same... Tell- I, mean, I mean, ultimately, it's supposed to Spanish coaching and on, a very, on, a, on that very base level of, of technique probably remains up there to, among the best of the world. But maybe in, in relative standards, given the quality of star they're bringing in beyond Madrid and Barca and to a degree Atletico... It's it's dropped down slightly, and it do, it does feel. I mean, I'm actually writing a piece on this for Wednesday ahead of the, the rearranged Classico. That I mean, this this last decade coming to it's been the decade of the Classico, especially when it, how it started. It was by a distance the biggest fixture in the world, mm. and now it just it feels like it's entered a period of relative decline. Not completely unrelated to you know Ronaldo departing, what's happened at Madrid, and it does feel as if Messi is really the only figure left, or the only kind of really positive element left from that absolute heyday around 2012. 
Mm. Yeah, well, you've got no Ronaldo, and yeah. you know Gareth Bale's pretty, you know, peripheral. Yeah. Again, might be a, a, a bit of a cheeky one, but with Gareth Bale, will he be at Madrid when this tie comes around in February? I think he probably will be, and it wouldn't surprise me if he turned up and put in a cracking yeah. performance over those two legs. He just with Bale, you never really know, do you? You hear so many conflicting reports about how much he actually cares. You know, yeah. is he just does he just fancy just playing golf in the hot weather now and you know turning up for Wales games? But again, in the same way that I think this is a good draw for Man City, it might turn into a good draw for Gareth Bale. It's all it's all academic if he's no longer there, but mm. it's the kind of thing you wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if Zidane kind of chucked him in just to see what he can do in a game like uh, that. And there's a little bit of chicken and egg there. I mean, how much of Bale's how much of these issues with Bale come about because ultimately the manager has never really fancied him <laughs> yeah. and, and that will happen to players who will suddenly like they're, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start to look look out or get distracted if they just don't feel they're wanted at a club and that has been a huge issue at Madrid and the crowd too yeah ex- exactly exactly I mean this, this, and then of course given how the media around Madrid work and how often they're used as propaganda with the club I mean it's very easy for them to feed out all these stories about Bale in that sense because I think someone, was t- someone from who knows someone within the dressing room was telling me that the the idea that he can't speak Spanish is is actually a myth, and that yeah, it the, is. The, the, yeah, is. the issue is more that he doesn't feel quite confident enough to to speak it in public, but that he actually he can communicate with his teammates quite well. Yeah, mm. I mean he's always been a very shy guy. For yeah. I mean I've interviewed a couple of times, granted, in his younger days, yeah, yeah. but he's very shy guy, very very yeah. family oriented. Um, it was a surprise to me when he went abroad, just because I didn't yeah. didn't think he would necessarily fancy it that much. Yeah. I mean he's he's, he's done. Phenomenal things there. He's probably one of the most decorated British footballers of all time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, scored some big goals. The but key player in two finals, which is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a domestic sense, you know, we're building up to next weekend. Spurs Chelsea on the Sunday is probably the pick of the mm. weekend. You know, the Mourinho derby, whatever you want to call it. Let's look at them in a Champions League context first. Chelsea, Bayern Munich, they've they've hit the wall, haven't they? Yeah, it does feel like that. I mean, I remember when this, going into the season, one of the expectations about Chelsea was, yeah, I don't expect top four, and it might be a struggle at times, but by the end, I think there'll be excitement about these kids and things will start to look up, where the hope is maybe, for Chelsea maybe is that the, the flip side doesn't happen. They've had all the good at the start of the season, mm. and now we're entering a period a little bit of struggle as they kind of adjust. Because it does seem like Lampard is struggling to figure out how to almost how to make the back end of his team work. They're so soft in that way. And now you wonder whether it's also started to... It just happens a lot with so many of these teams where they start to encounter these struggles and it then it starts to erode confidence further forward because they're suddenly not hurting teams in the same way as well. Mm-hmm. I think they, they badly need a, a properly strong centre-half. Yeah. Is this also a, con- a consequence of youth, Tony? That you've got young players who are basically... They're on a flood tide of, tide of ad- adrenaline for the first three months of the season. It's fading away. Mm. Teams are working them out a bit better. Ergo, they've got a problem. It just becomes hard. It just becomes hard when this happens. And I think, you know, I think when, when Abraham hasn't played, you know, Giroud has started to look his age. He yeah, starts to yeah. look a guy who is actually not being picked because he's not really there You're anymore. You've got to get a second striker in. Generally. Yeah, Bashoi is inconsistent. Um... I think Lampard's moving his formation around a little bit. Yeah, he's yeah. going four two three one four three three, and he's not the only manager to do it. Klopp's doing it quite a lot at Liverpool, but it feels like maybe he's 
changing it because he's trying to see if this is going to work, not because this is actually his decision for yeah. this particular game. It's inevitable when you've got such young players. I mean, people like Tamori, Abraham and Mount, they're, they're ba- they are battle-hardened. Yeah, They've done yeah. seasons in the Championship. Yeah. They know what it's like to play a couple of games a week. But it's different at the level they're playing at. Mm-hmm. I'm actually... Incre- to get through the group stage, get through that group with Valencia and Ajax... Yeah, yeah was an incredible effort and I suspect that their league form has suffered a little bit because of it. Yeah. What was what I thought was interesting with him was that Tamori came in by default because of injuries at the back. Looked their best centre half in my view. Mm. But when people were fit again, he's he's dropped out yeah. again. Maybe that's a sign that, you know, that Lampard is, is is being careful with these kids. Mm. Um we'll see. What do you think their priorities will be in January, Miguel? I think one has to be centre half. <coughs> but then there's a lot of talk about that as you said they want to sign a top quality forward player. Timo Werner's been yeah. mentioned. Yeah, it? yeah, and, and Zaha as well. But I, I think it should be centre half above anything because when Rudiger's not there, they look so exposed. They just need that leadership. And it's one of the things, I mean, this is possibly not even that new a point anymore, but the, the discussion is always about, you know, youth and certain comparisons, say, with United 96 and all that. But then United 96 had so many senior figures in that yeah. team to balance out the youth. Yeah. Keane, Cantona, Schmeichel, Bruce still there, if not playing, yeah. Pallister. Whereas yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas Chelsea don't really have that balance. It's kind of it feels like in so many senses, so much falls on Kante, both to basically pin the entire defensive side of the team together, <laughs> and also to be one of the senior figures. And he's quite quite a figure. Like it's not like he's someone that is going to exactly talk much in the dressing room in that regard. Yeah, even someone like Aspilicueta, who's been brilliant for yeah. over a number of years and and has been one of the one of the central leaders. His form has dropped for degree. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking actually, is he is he starting in this yeah. team anymore? Um, but if he's not, it's Reese James, yeah. so it's an, another kid. Yeah, I mean, I think they've they've overachieved. I'm yeah, yeah I, I would agree. Them. Yeah, the top four is still they're still in fourth. Yeah, you'd probably say that this game on Sunday might. Well, they might could be, be overtaken by goal difference if they lose to Spurs. On yeah, Sunday. and then you, you end up looking at you know we've talked about the kind of relative inexperience of the guys at the top at, at Arsenal, at Manchester United, and also at Chelsea. Yeah. Mm. Suddenly, Mourinho at Tottenham looks like. A wily old dog who's going to just stroll past them. And whatever about Mourinho's qualities as a manager and all the rest of it, I think it's a particularly dangerous time to play Mourinho because he's got a few axes to grind. And there's been a few suggestions about his personal relationship with Lampard as well, especially since he went back to Chelsea the second time, got rid of him, and then all that stuff when when uh, Lampard went to City as well. So, does it f- and again, I mean, if there's anyone that will revel away in a situation like that, it's, it's Mourinho. Yeah, and that win against Wolves was a Mourinho win. Yeah, it? yeah, completely, yeah. All day long, yeah. all day long. Let's not forget, Wolves hadn't lost a league game or any game, I think, for the spot of three months. Yeah. They lost to Villa in the League Cup, but, you know, bearing in mind that that was Nuno taking a team with, again, a relatively small squad yeah. into, into the Europa League, which has been a kind of graveyard for, for clubs that don't have big squads over the years. Think about Burnley in recent times, but... And they've... Yeah. They've done a great run, but but again, in comes Mourinho. Well, and, and again, Nuno, actually, another former Mourinho player, given he had him at Porto. And he does seem to have a little bit of a... I, mean, I think there's an interesting thing here, which I might actually do for peace the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an idea for it. But Mourinho and kind of the complex his former players have when they take him on as a manager. I mean, it's a similar thing with Ferguson. He used to always... <laughs> yeah. any, anytime he was Steve Bruce in particular, it was almost as if you have to six points up as a tribute every season. Yeah. Is that libelous? <laughs> <laughs> you got... Um, Spurs, they've got Red Bull Leipzig. That's that's a pretty decent draw, isn't it? It's probably as good a draw as they could have hoped for. Let's not underestimate Leipzig, mm. who um, may well become German League champions this season. So they're, mm. they're not to be underestimated, but it does feel like that kind of tie that Mourinho and Mourinho team will get through. Yeah, yeah it feels like it'll be really interesting to see what 
who who's still at Tottenham yeah. by then. We've you know, Ericsson, Vertonga and Alderweireld. Who knows, who knows what January brings? It'd be interesting to see whether Mourinho will be on a kind of charm offensive to keep these guys on and get them signed up or whether yeah. whether it, they end up leaving. It has the feel of one of those ties as well. Like just no, no matter how exciting Leipzig are, and, and they are, that there'll be one of those European games that'll be done by experience because Mourinho obviously has so much and this Spurs team now actually has quite mm. a lot. Yes, true. Even they got to the final last season. So yeah, I think... That'll give you something that tells in this time. Yeah. What do you think about the, the Red Bull model? I think it's the best in the world in terms of the recruitment they do, especially, you know, you look at Salzburg. Yeah. You've got Haaland, who's, who's you know, we're told, is, is on the way to Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. You know, Minamoto, which we've already spoken about. That Red Bull model in terms of development mm-hmm. of not just, coach, uh, not just players, but coaches. Look at yeah. Nagelsmann. I have usually conflicting feelings about this because in terms of how you want football to be run. Everything they do is very progressive and the right ideas. But then that's also, uh, that's what happens when you have a lot of money and spend it intelligently, uh, that you'll get this. And, and the issue then is really that money because the idea of their overall company and what they're trying to do, owning clubs like this is slightly unsettling, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, you can probably find more morally questionable money in football, yeah. can't you? But it's still fundamentally at the heart of it something quite cynical yeah yeah completely um, yeah as, but that's as, modern football isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah so if we're going to just talk about it purely in football terms then yeah it's great mm. I mean you've got kind of Ralph Rangnick as the kind of godfather of it all yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ended up in the Premier League at some point soon I think he really fancies that kind of challenge United yeah, really use him um, to actually kind of soundboard mm. research yeah he'll come over as a sporting director I'd have yeah. thought wouldn't he mm. from, what, from what I hear he wants he wants to get dirty. He wants to. He wants to be a coach. He wants to do right. it. He wants to test himself. But again, he's this kind of godfather character, and through whom younger coaches are coming through. And uh, there's a real philosophy there. I mean, Salzburg. You know, I didn't know that much about them before watching them in the Champions League this season. They were yeah. they were quite impressive. Mm. Um, that front three, particularly one of whom is on his way to Anfield, probably as as discussed. Be interesting to see yeah. how far they go. Well, is this the future of football in some sense? Like, these these franchises, like on one side. CFG, then the other side, well, we all know about their owners, uh, and then the other side, something like Red Bull, together, they actually control so many elements of the football recruitment market. Mm. Yeah. Another uh, fact of life in modern football is that FIFA are are basically strategically backing the Club World Cup as part of a sort of a Mm -hmm. little piece of warfare against UEFA and the Champions League and everything else. How significant is the Club World Cup, do you think? I think it would be a nice thing for Liverpool to win. I think Klopp would rather it didn't exist because I think the focus is so much on the Premier League and anything that derails that that run, I think, is just is just unwelcome. I mean, he's tried his hardest to get us knocked out, to get Liverpool knocked out of the League Cup. Um, I think it's, you know, what's interesting is is, is the plans for 2021, I yeah. think, when it expands to 24 they're teams. They're grotesque. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is, yeah, I mean, fascinating. And being staged in China, I think, yeah. which is also of interest. Yeah. Bearing in mind, I think, China are pretty pretty intent on bidding for the 2030 World yeah, Cup. Yeah. Obviously, UEFA are currently opposed, I think, to yeah. that, aren't they? And they're still trying to say but, we're not going to send any teams. But, I mean, I don't know. But this is the fundamental issue with both the Club World Cup and FIFA, in the sense that inherently the idea is actually quite a good one and a nice one. And the idea of a, of a, <laughs> of a competition for the kind of winners of all the kind of continental trophies is, 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 is inherently good. But there's been no thought about where it fits in the calendar, about you know, whether everyone is content with the way it's been put together. And, it's, and, and you, 
rather than being a nice idea that serves a game, you, uh, as, as, as Mike just alluded to, it's just basically um, you, you feel it's something that's just entirely served to increase FIFA's power base because they're so put out by the fact that the number one game in football now is essentially the Champions League over the World Cup. Does it also point out that the League Cup itself is almost past its sell-by date? When you've got a club like Liverpool essentially putting their kids in the under-23s into a quarter-final on Tuesday night and then playing their first game in, the, in Doha the following day, that, to me, yeah. points up that it's, it's essentially... It's, um, Nice to have, perhaps, type of trophy now. Well, I mean, it, it is kind of odd that England now is one of the few countries, along with Scotland, not France anymore, considering they're getting rid of theirs, to have a tertiary domestic competition. And given how bloated the calendar is, it makes less and less sense. And it, despite, it's almost weird at the League Cup, then it's almost because of its very, uh, how inconsequential it is, that it's actually produced some great ties over the past few years. And you... <laughs> uh, but it, it's almost kind of that forgetfulness. I think mean, you kind of tune in and oh, this is like, this is this is good fun, and it, it, it almost has that over the FA Cup, which actually I think is the one that's re- that's more suffered in that way. It's maybe because of the time of year, the fact it occupies entire weekends rather than midweek. So yeah, I think there's an odd complex there about it. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and let's not forget, it's quite a long time since United pulled out the FA Cup because of this yeah. same tournament. I mean, at least Liverpool are turning up, even if they are turning up with the kids. I totally agree. I think the League Cup has produced some amazing football. Actually, the, the odd thing is, despite the fact the majority of the big teams don't really seem to care that much about it, mo- much like the FA Cup final, most of the time you get finals between two of the big yeah, teams. Yeah. Mm. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Everton and Leicester, respectively, take their tie on Wednesday. Let's look at Leicester. They are maintaining the momentum. Obviously, they drew at the weekend. You've got Boxing Day coming up. In, the, is the, in this next sort of couple of weeks, City and then Liverpool, we're basically going to know who's going to win the league, don't we? Yeah, I think we do already, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a really, it's a really interesting test of, of of where Leicester are in the next couple of weeks. I think Rogers is is old enough and experienced enough to to say that they might lose both games, but actually they'll still be in a really strong position to mm. kick on and finish top four, which I think is the ultimate aim for the club yeah. this season: get back in the Champions League. He's tinkered a little bit with the formation in recent weeks. He, he's played with a diamond and brought Ian Acho in, who's had a positive impact since he, he came off against Norwich. And again, you, you do look at them and think they've got a really good 1-11. to Not sure how many, you know, if, if Jamie Vardy had any serious time out, I think they'd be screwed. Mm. Um, yeah. James Madison is one of my favourite players in the Premier League. I absolutely love him. Indeed, he has that same kind of influence that kind of Kante had before. And obviously, I mean, rumours about where Ben Chilwell may or may not end up in January. But there are so many teams in the rest of the Premier League who are going through transition periods or just yeah. an absolute mess. Uh, I don't think Rodgers is naive enough to think that a couple of defeats in the next, in the next couple of weeks will derail their top four ambitions, well, even if they do lose both. Well, there's another thing there as well. I mean, as you mentioned, it's a little bit like Liverpool with finally finding a manager who fits their Messiah complex. But the other side of that, ever or sorry, Leicester are one of the few clubs that actually have successfully identified a football model they want to play, instilled it. And then because so many clubs don't have that and are really trying for it, like Everton, like Manchester United, like Arsenal again, that it's seeing a club like Leicester exploit that gap and streak away. And it means there's almost, even though they're actually significantly overachieving, there was almost that disappointment in the, in the way they slipped at the weekend because, it, 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 because it's kind of, they were seen as, oh, potential title challengers. But yeah. really, it's almost unfair on them mm. because it's, but it's just, they're just so ahead of schedule. Yeah. Farhad, uh, Mashari has basically said that football in the in the northwest is the, like, the new Hollywood. Have Everton found their Clint Eastwood in <laughs> Big Dunk? Uh, 
No, they're going straight to video, aren't they, with that one? Um, <laughs> I, I there's so much emotion around this stuff. Yeah. Ferguson was a was a talismanic figure for Everton in a period where, let's face it, they weren't very good. There was a lot made at the weekend about how many goals he scored against Manchester yeah. United. Well, that's great and all, but it doesn't make him yeah. the manager to take Everton forward. A lot of emotion. I think their victory over Chelsea said more about Chelsea than it said about Everton. I actually think their draw against Man United this weekend said more about Man United yeah, than absolutely. it does against Everton. And I also showed some of the some of the chat after the successful wins over Tottenham and Chelsea and Tottenham and City were a little bit overboard because again of Solskjaer's six wins in the league this season, five have come against the old top six of the new top six in Leicester. Yeah. Uh, so it, it points yeah. to his approach rather than if if teams yeah. if teams sit back against Manchester United yeah. they really struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unless Everton had no midfield yesterday, they, yeah, had, they yeah. had Tom Davis and a bunch of strikers, mm. um, and still United struggled struggled yeah. to play through them. I think Ferguson actually set the team up pretty well. I thought yesterday they were possibly the better team for for the majority yeah. of the game, or at least at least they looked the most the more dangerous. But again, it's a club. I just I just look at the squad. I don't, I don't like it. They're, they don't have much up front. Yeah. They've got a lot of strikers. And the Moyes Keane situation yesterday, who knows what the truth of that is. But well, I, I can't see him playing for Everton again, can you? Hard, isn't it? it? But also, it just didn't, it didn't look like the actions of a manager who was experienced or yeah, knew yeah. how to manage a situation. Kind of standing there with his jacket off, his you know rain-soaked shirt, kind of beating chest it just it all seemed very it all seemed very emotional and very parodic as well yeah who knows i mean it might be that they it might be that they give him the job it'd be very ever liverpool to fans would be pretty happy if it, they it, did, it would be so everton to get seduced by emotion in that way and then a few months down the line everyone's oh that was a bit of a misstep it, not not completely unlike what's happened with Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. and which is usually pointing to clubs that aren't particularly well run in a football perspective so miguel the Europa League draws now through. Manchester United, uh, they've got Bruges. Decent draw for them? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, Bruges put it up to Madrid and, well, to lesser extent, PSG in the Champions League. They're, I think they're very typical of a lot of Belgian teams at the moment that have become good kind of incubating grounds for young players before they inevitably have to sell them on. So it's a bit of a challenge in that regard, but United should have enough. Then we've been again, again, we've said it before about them in competitions like this, and <laughs> as we've already said in this very podcast, maybe it suits them to get Champions League level opposition rather than a, rather than a Belgian side. And Champions uh, Champions League, there is a place available for the winners of this competition. Yeah, so. and that's I mean that's how they got through when in Jose's yeah, first yeah. season, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. At United, It'd be interesting to see the selection policy that, that Solskjaer goes with. He's tending to play the kids or the even younger kids um, mm-hmm. reserves in the, in the tournament so far. Got them through. I think again we're, we're a couple of months away from these ties. It'll be interesting to see at what what state what the state of play is in the league at this point. Yeah. If United are full on in a battle for fourth place, which we're kind of all not saying but thinking will be yeah. is the one remaining Champions League spot behind what are currently the top three. I don't know. It's, it's it's one of those where do we do we get to the Champions League via this route or that route? Yeah. Like like Mick said, like Bruges looked all right <laughs> at, at times, certainly against Real Madrid and. I don't know, if I was a betting man, and, and I am, I might think about a few quid on Bruce yeah, for that. Yeah. Okay. Would you have a few quid on Olympiacos against Arsenal? Because Arsenal, we don't know what they're going to be like tomorrow, let alone yeah, yeah. in two months' time. I don't get enough money on anyone against Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were saying this off air, but what, they've got 22 points after 17 games of the season. Extrapolated over the season, that's not much above 40 points, which is, you know, maybe just outside being involved in a proper relegation battle. And there's some huge problems. I mean, as you say, two, three months' time, you don't know where they're going to be, at, where they're going to be, who they might have appointed, who they might have bought in January. 
But given the precedent of the last few years' decisions, you wouldn't exactly have faith. No. With, when you look at Olympiacos, they caused Tottenham a deal of trouble, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They actually looked... I was at that game. They, they looked dangerous on the break. They've got, they've got Pace, Valbuena's there. He's a little bit of class. Manager's quite impressive. They'd be favourites for me in that game. I just, I just don't see Arsenal... I mean, you know, they got, let's not forget they got to the final last season. But that was under Unai Emery, who I think history will probably report was actually a better coach than the majority of Arsenal fans think he is on what, on what he achieved last season and so far this. Olympiacos, one of those teams, they, they, they were great for 25 minutes against Spurs. Yeah. They, they were fragile at the back and I think Tottenham under, under Pochettino at the end might have actually lost that game. There were, you know, Marine, there was certain, there's a certain Mourinho edge to the team at the minute, yeah. which means they just win. It's a tricky tie. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's naturally volatile, isn't it? Greek football. Yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah, totally. Um, especially given Olympiakos' stranglehold over the title has actually been broken in the last two years. It's mercifully, really, for the health of Greek football. But that's it. Yeah, and I mean, even Spurs faced it when they went away. There was that kind of chaos of the atmosphere, which you wouldn't exactly say this is the mentally strongest Arsenal team right now. <laughs> mm. No, the fans at the away fans. I was I was sitting above them at, the, at Spurs for the for the home yeah. game. They made a lot of noise. They're very impressive. Yeah. It'll be a proper cauldron out there. Mm. Mm. Scottish clubs make a bit of noise, don't they? So you've got Celtic are playing Copenhagen. Uh, Rangers have drawn Braga. Uh, Braga obviously played Wolves in the previous round, didn't they? Yeah, and this is where I pretend to know anything about either of those opposition. <laughs> uh, I'll just stand, say the standard British thing and say, you'd hope that Celtic and Rangers can go through from these ties. <laughs> yeah. What's the standard like in Scotland, do you think, Mick? Well, I mean, it's coefficients on the rise of the fact that Celtic and Rangers there breaking the precedent of the last few years points to a positive. I mean, there has been some chat about how actually behind a few things that the level of kind of uh, grassroots Scottish coaching has started to improve a bit, even that has not come across in the national team mm. at all. But yeah, I mean, there's been progress here from Celtic and Rangers. And also maybe the fact that Rangers are actually back competitive with Celtic again is probably healthy for both in that sense, in that, you know, certainly as regards Celtic, rather than having it all their own way in almost every game they play, it might have just been a certain amount of kind of vitality they needed. Because if you, if you look at also uh, the two clubs' best European results in the modern era, uh, which is particularly around the kind of 2003-2008 period when they both reached Europa League finals or UEFA Cup finals as they were, it was when they were almost alternating league titles. Mm. Stephen Gerrard, are the sty- stars aligning he revives Rangers and moves on to succeed Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Um, who knows? I mean, who knows? Uh, it was interesting that those two bits of news were kind of posted next to each other all day on Friday, weren't they? <laughs> like Klopp signing extension to 2024 and Gerrard also doing the same thing. I think Gerrard's been, in terms of those big names from that era taking jobs early on in their managerial career, Gerrard's, I think he's been wise to, to go up to yeah. Scotland, actually, um, in, in a job where he couldn't really fail Rangers unless he got them relegated. But, 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 to, be, to be fair to him, I mean, we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about how, well, look, at you wouldn't go to Arsenal because their structure so, is so bad. When he went to Rangers, they looked a complete basket case. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to be fair to him, he, he's actually, he's brought, I suppose, a calmness that they needed in that regard. Yeah, and some good coaches. Mick Beale's a really, yeah. really good coach there with a really strong pedigree. He's not doing it alone, but... His, his, his aura and the way he deals with the media, the way he deals with the fans, there's something really impressive yeah. about him, which actually, knowing what he was as a player, where he, he led by example rather than, you know, Carragher was kind of the on-field captain yeah, yeah. in a way, the organiser. Actually, Gerard, there is a kind of 
statesman feel about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's handled the the right the Celtic Rangers games that they've had there. I think he's handled them really well. Yeah. And it seems that he seems that the players have a, a good relationship with him. You know, Morelos gets sent off every other game, and yet still that relationship seems <laughs> seems quite strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, who knows what happens in the future? There are plenty of. Liverpool fans who would happily have Gerald at the club at some point as manager. There are plenty who would say, let's leave him where he was yeah, as an all-time playing legend. But let's see what happens. Klopp's around for a little while yet, hasn't he? Yeah. Finally, Wolves. They've got Espanyol. It's the sort of tie you'd probably expect them to win. Yeah. In a way, are they a sort of prototypical Europa League club? Something to prove. Mm-hmm. You know, latent potential. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that sense of potential growth to sort of club that can use... Europa League in particular is a stepping stone and also I think their football is quite suited to that level of football given they're, they're, they're hard to break down they're, def- they're defensively very solid and they can really hurt you on the, the counter with just enough creativity to announce to open teams in Europe so I think they're, they're quite well set actually in fact say it go I'd, I'd, I'd back them to do better in the Europa League than both either Manchester United or Arsenal at the moment for various reasons, not to say they're better side than Manchester United, but you think they'll use to their competition to their advantage more maybe than Solskjaer will, where you expect more kids to play. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that I agree with that means that they're absolutely nailed on to get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just as the final point, then let's go back to the Champions League. As you said, fantastic draw. Are we at a stage where we can say confidently that there will be another English name on the trophy at the end of this season? I think it should be City, and even though we've spent some of this podcast criticising the level of Spanish football in Barcelona right now. I just think the fact that Messi's there is so desperate it means, I think I've said this the last three years I've been in this podcast, yeah. I'm going for Barcelona <laughs> again. Because, because it's a cup as well and the what should happen doesn't always happen. Tony? I think there's some twists and turns to come. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you, I would expect one of Liverpool or City to win it, but who cares? This, this has been the glory, <laughs> this has been the glory of the competition that's it, destroyed any sort of uh, form like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going for Manchester City. I think their time and Pep's time has finally come. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 